Happy Monday, everyone. Welcome to Daily Kofefi on Unsafe Space. Today is Monday, the 25th of November, 2019. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined today by Yerba Mate, which is a wholly inadequate substitute for Carrie Smith, although it is very sugary, probably too sugary. Um, Carrie is out again today. I think she'll be back tomorrow. Um, this week is a little bit crazy. It's Thanksgiving week, so uh, lots of stuff going on on our end. So the Daily Go Heavy, it's just me today. I apologize. By the way, um, we're always looking for news ideas you guys want us to cover, so please feel free to throw them in the comments below. I figured since it was, there's a couple things. One, since Carrie's not around, I'm going to talk about some money-related topics. Carrie, Carrie has many fine qualities as a co-host. Being interested in money is sadly not one of them. So uh, I will probably, this is probably a good time to talk about some money stuff. Um, But also it's Thanksgiving week. And even though it's not Thanksgiving day, maybe I should wait till Thanksgiving day to do this, but screw it. I'm going to do it today. Um, I realized a lot of people listen to our podcast, but they don't watch. And if you don't watch, you don't get to see uh, the people who are in the credits who are contributors on Subscribestar. We have a couple people who contribute a dollar a month. I'm thankful for them. I don't want to say their names because uh, I actually don't have permission. But the following people I do have permission to say because they're in the credits. So we have at the $5 level, we have uh, Stephen Blackheath, Lou C, uh, Kent Onufrichuk. I hope I didn't butcher that, Kent. Uh, Ruben Butte, JR, Spock's mom, Nula's mom, See lots of moms, I guess. Uh, Jacob Facciretti, and let's see, one, two, three, four people who want to remain anonymous at the five dollar level. At the so at the ten dollar level, that's the heretic level. We have Grimspace, Javier Laura, Lindsay Peterson, Taya Smith, Tony and Carol, Oz Longy, Knit Fragility, and still an anonymous person at that level. The $25 level, the apostate level, we've got Keith Bissett, the Honorable Nicole M. Pratt, Esquire, Omara67, Hester Prine, and Dr. Carlin B., and an anonymous person. And we have one person who is an existential threat. That's the $100 a month level, and that's Scotty Scott. Shout out to all of you. Um, Thank you. If you want to support us, you can go to subscribestar.com slash unsafe space. The more... We get support from our our fan base, the more, or actually the less often you will see me speaking by myself, Gary will be involved more, and hopefully the video quality will get better. So not just, and I, I don't just mean Carrie's four pixel camera, I mean actually the content. So with that in mind, let's move on to the content for today's Daily Kofefi. Uh, <clears throat> I want to talk about the wealth tax. So it's been... It was a subject of the Democratic debates last week. It's been the sub, uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren in particular talking a lot about the wealth tax. Um, and there was an article in Forbes today. Here's the article. The headline here is, The richest person in the world just gave $98.5 million to help the homeless. And this is about Jeff Bezos, of course. I think he's estimated net worth about $110 billion. And he gave $98.5 million to a bunch of organizations to fight homelessness. So, you know, the I guess a normal person's response would be, that's nice. But uh, that's nice of him. That's generous. But, of course, that's not the response uh, for a lot of people. 
Um, here's a, an example of what you see from the radical left and from Democrats generally lately. I think this is an article in Vox. Here's how much Americans billionaires give to charity in one chart. So this is, hey, Jeff Bezos, he gave $167 million to charity in 2018. That's 0.1% of his wealth. Basically, the theme of this article is screw him. He's not giving enough money. Billionaires are stingy. And to prove this point, first of all, this article incorrectly says one of the more compelling arguments against a wealth tax is that the rich already donate plenty to charity. I don't think that's one of the compelling arguments, but I guess... Fox would like to cast that as the most most compelling argument. Anyway, I guess Zuck cited that as a, as a reason. But this person, Gabriel Zuckman, uh, says, how much money did the 20 richest American gives, give in 2018? And he has this percentage, Jeff Bezos at the top, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, all the way down to Lauren Powell Jobs uh, and the percentage of their wealth that they gave away that year. Now, this chart is uh, stupid for a couple of reasons. One of them is this information isn't necessarily correct. He doesn't actually have the correct information. This is just based on what he knows. So we don't really know how much any of these people gave. Um, the other reason it's dumb is this is their their net worth. This is their wealth, right, versus the percentage of their wealth they gave away in a year. That's That's a, you're measuring their, total wealth versus what they did in one particular year. So if you give a lot of money to charity one year and not much the next, or if you've, like people like Jeff Bezos, I think have planned to give a certain amount over time. And so there's a schedule, they're rolling it out. You're not going to see a large percentage of the wealth being given away every year anyway. So it would be like saying, you know, let's say you make 100K in, in a year. Okay, fine. But your wealth is a lot more than 100K, right? Your wealth is if you make 100k a year, you might be worth a million bucks total. I mean, I'm I'm thinking in terms of California people who own houses, right? So you might be worth a million bucks. So you might give away $10,000 and someone would look at that and say, "Oh, well, you didn't give away much of your total wealth, but $10,000 with uh in relation to your 100k salary is quite a lot actually." I'm not saying that this is impactful to these these people in a big way, but the numbers are just wrong. They're comparing apples to oranges. They admit that in the article. They also admit that they don't really know these numbers. But the point of the article isn't actually to convince you with numbers. It's to it's to convince you emotionally that uh, these people are stingy uh, billionaires, have hoarded wealth. Um, in fact, there was even a tweet that came out. Um, when was this tweet? November 24th. So what was that? It was yesterday. This tweet was going around the internet. This is someone who, I guess, has no water in their apartment now. Here's an image of this water main breaking. There's flooding on the street outside their house, I guess. And they say, love to, sick, love to wake up with no water in our apartment because our nation's century-old infrastructure is straining under the weight of disinvestment while a dozen men hoard enough wealth to fix every problem we face but every day choose not to do that. So this is that kind of attitude, right? It's that there's a few people hoarding wealth, and if it weren't for the wealth hoarders, our infrastructure would be would be fixed. Now, um, that's not true. I mean, the, the government actually does have enough money to fix the infrastructure. They just spend it on other things. But okay, so they'd like to blame wealthy people. And this is something that I think 
you know, this is related in attitude to these all of these uh, wealth taxes that people are talking about. Bernie's out there yelling about billionaires. Elizabeth Warren's yelling about billionaires. Uh, billionaires are the problem. And there's this narrative that they're holding, you know, they're, you have this picture of like Scrooge McDuck counting his piles of gold and ha-ha, now Tiny Tim can't get turkey because I have too many piles of gold. Um, but that's not, you know, that's not really accurate. Now, I get, before I get into this, I just want to say I get the emotional uh, reactions here. I get that when you look out at the world and you see a lot of people suffering and you see some people with excess, excess that's so much it's hard for you to even fathom, right? I mean, I don't know that I could fathom having $110 billion. That's that's beyond my comprehension. And so you look out at the world and you see something something like that and you see this this great um, inequity between between people that have very little and people that have an enormous amount of money. And it triggers this sense of fairness in you. You want things to be fair in some way. Also, I think it triggers a sense of envy in a lot of people. So I would say, uh, let's just address those two feelings for a moment. If you are feeling envious, I invite you to let go of that. Envy is not a healthy emotion. Envy is not going to get you anywhere. Um, And they didn't you know, Bezos didn't steal your $110 billion, right? He didn't take anything from you, actually. He didn't steal a cent from you. All he did was offer you some services that you may have paid for. But you did that voluntarily. You don't... It's unhealthy psychologically to be envious of Bezos. That doesn't make sense. Um, so if you want to maintain the whole moral high ground here and you want to approach this from a perspective of you think you're doing something right and just in the world by advocating for a wealth tax or advocating against billionaires... Um, drop the envy because the envy is not, not helpful to you. So I invite you to drop that. Now let's talk about the fairness for a moment. Fairness is, um, a noble goal. It's, it's, it's noble to think that things should be fair. And when I say fair, I mean just, I don't mean equal. Equal is unfair. Um, there's a difference between, um, making things fair and making things equal. Like if we wanted to make if I was going to have a, a one-on-one basketball session with Steph Curry, we could make it fair. It would be fair if we just, you know, both got onto the court in our basketball attire or whatever it was um, and duked it out and he would kick my ass, right? I probably wouldn't even get one point, two points, whatever. I probably wouldn't get one basket. But uh, we could make it equal. We could make it more equal by cutting off Steph Curry's legs. If you cut Steph Curry's legs off, he may still beat me, but I would have a fighting chance. I might be able to beat him if if he was hobbling around on stubs for for legs. But it would be more fa- it would be more equal. But that's not fair, right? We're we're taking away his legs. We're cutting his legs off. That's violent and horrific. Now, there's a difference between encouraging people to have empathy for the downtrodden and for people who are um, suffering and trying to convince... So the difference between that, right, and and doing that and trying to convince people to voluntarily help solve those problems, right? You might disagree with how, but to say, like, hey, this is a problem we should all kind of voluntarily 
um, work together to solve this because people are suffering and we should have empathy for those people. That's that's noble and admirable. And you can you get your moral high ground. You can stay on your moral high ground for that attitude. But when you cross over into advocating that we should take money from some people by force so that you can use it to fund whatever solution that you think is best for this, um, you start to lose your moral high ground. Because remember, when you're arguing for a wealth tax, you're arguing that that money is taken by force. Um, that's what that is. It's 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 people with guns taking money. So the only way that that really makes sense is if you have this belief, or the only way that really makes maybe makes moral sense is if you have this belief that they've done something nefarious to get that money in the first place. Then kind of stealing it maybe makes, or feels good, right? It makes sense, right? If they've, if they stole it to begin with, you're just taking it back. Um, and so I want to, I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, the caveat I'm going to say here is that I would like to address what happens in a free market. Um, free market, not not a market. We're not in a free market. So we're in a market in which there is uh, government contracts that get awarded to people, uh, government-enabled uh, monopolies or at least advantages through regulation and regulatory capture in businesses. Um, so there is a there is not a complete free market here. So I'm going to speak as if there were a free market, but with the caveat that I agree that the things that um, work are coercive in nature, that are enabled by um, the initiation of the use of force, giving some people advantage over others, is abhorrent. And the example I'll cite is the the bailouts, the bank bailouts in, what is it, 2008, 2009, the bank bailouts. Um those were stealing money from us. Those that was a way of taking money from poor people in rich countries, poor people in America, and giving it to rich people in America who had screwed up. So they did that via um, predominantly via uh, quantitative easing, which basically trickles down into inflation. And of course, inflation in, in affects the people most who are uh, have less savings. So people who have to use their money on a day to day basis to eat and survive. Uh, that they get hardest hit by inflation. And uh, the bailouts, the Wall Street bailouts, were an example of what I'll call cronyism. This was not free market. This is stealing money from you and giving it to hedge fund managers and cronies who were tight with the government and big in the finance market, uh, so that basically they got to socialize their losses, i.e. make you pay for their losses, but they keep the profits when they win. So that's totally unfair, and I'm all about going after that. But let's talk about wealth in a free market, for example, because uh, I think a lot of the a lot of the anger and resentment over people like Jeff Bezos is not warranted if you're looking at this from a free market perspective. So the first thing to realize in a free market is that wealth is created, it's not distributed. We're not um, we're not hoarding, we're not moving wealth around. And the best quote I like for this is something that I read in high school by P.J. O'Rourke. Um, he said, wealth is not a pizza, where if I have too many slices, you have to eat the Domino's box. So we haven't been, you know, the past couple hundred years in this experiment called America, we haven't been shifting resources around from one party to another. This hasn't been an experiment in redistribution of wealth. That's not what's been happening. It's not like all the wealth that exists today 
is was just there and we had to move it around and that's why standard of livings went up. The wealth didn't exist at all. Wealth is created. It's created. It's created through um, invention and discovery and then taking those inventions or those discoveries and building businesses out of them that actually help people, right? Building businesses through voluntary association when, you know, uh, Bezos puts a product on the market. If you don't like it, you don't have to buy it. If you do like it, you do buy it. Your your life, thanks to Jeff Bezos, is much easier now than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. If you're using Amazon Web Services, for example, uh, it makes it very easy to, to do a lot of web stuff that you would have had to do um, on your own, have your own server farms and manage them. Like AWS uh, provides a lot of back end for a lot of services that would be hard to do on your own. Obviously, there's also the advantage of you know streaming and and you know getting goods delivered quickly and all that kind of stuff. So he offered a service and you paid for it voluntarily, gladly. And you wouldn't have paid for his service if you didn't think that you were getting more value out of it than what you were paying. Otherwise, you wouldn't pay. So wealth is something that's created. The reason the standard of living has gone up is because there have been wealth creators. I mean. Almost all of us, to some extent, are wealth creators. We're producing something that's new, that's um, to the extent uh, the extent to which other people want that thing that we're creating and that they think it's valuable to them, that's the extent to which we earn money, generally, in a free market. So wealth isn't this thing that if he hoards a bunch, that $110 billion didn't come from, like, he didn't steal it from you. He created a service that people voluntarily paid for. So that standard of living of everyone is is um, is lifted. You don't just, let's use an iPhone as an example. When Apple makes an iPhone and you buy the iPhone, neither one, neither you nor Apple is worse off for that transaction, assuming they're selling it for a profit, right? They made the iPhone, they're selling it to you for uh, more than it costs them to make it. You're buying it because it's worth more to you than what you're paying Apple. Otherwise, you wouldn't buy it. You both end up better off in that transaction. So that's how wealth actually works. Wealth is not something that's just, you know, hoarded by some people. It's not like Bezos went around and, you know, took wealth from a bunch of people and now you can't have it. You can you can earn, you can create another $110 billion of wealth. There's no... His existence does, is not a barrier for your success. In fact, quite the opposite. Bezos's existence is actually making it easier for you to succeed. Amazon's a great example. Like I said with AWS, the Amazon Web Services earlier, lots of people have become wealthy because AWS enabled their business early on um, to grow and expand cheaply and easily. So um, there's no one, he's not hurting anyone and he's not preventing anyone else from having money. It's not Bezos's banks it's not it's not his bank account's fault that there are homeless people right the opposite is actually true his bank account is it represents the value that he's provided um to society in in some ways bezos is a weird example also because i think some of their money does come from government contracts and stuff and remember there was a carve out for that at the beginning of my conversation so first it's under it's important to understand that wealth is created second it's it's important to understand that um, and this is just a practical, so that's kind of the one of the moral things, I'll say a moral thing or just uh, something to understand about wealth. The second thing is to understand that um, there's a hidden cost here that no one ever talks about. Rich people don't just hide their money in a mattress 
or bury gold in their backyard. So this idea that like he's got this money or someone, some rich person has a bunch of money and that money is not accessible to anyone else. It's just his money. He's hoarding it. He's hoarding it. And if only homeless people had access to it or something, right? That's not, unless he's burying it in his backyard, he's not hoarding it. He's Worst case, he sticks it in a bank. That's the worst thing he could do is he sticks it in a bank. If he sticks it in a bank, what will happen is that money will be used as collateral for making loans. Well, so the bank's going to use it. They're going to, fractional reserve banking probably means they'll loan out even more than he has in the bank. So every dollar he has in, they might loan out $10 or something, right? So they're going to use that money and they're going to loan money out to other people. Uh, they're going to loan money out so that you can buy a house and have a mortgage. They're going to loan money out to small businesses. They're going to loan money out to large businesses and give them lines of credit. So all these things that actually help the economy to function, um, the, the lubrication for that, right? The enabling thing for that is, is money sitting in the bank owned mostly by wealthy people, right? That money is there in use. That money's in use. It's not in his mattress, it's not in his backyard, it's it's in use. And if that money came out of the bank, if, if Bezos put $110 billion into a bank, uh, and then one day he decided to withdraw it, all of those, all of those uh, business loans, mortgages, anything else that bank was doing and using that money as leverage to do to, to, to get money to other people so they can start businesses and they can hire people, all that stuff, that all vanishes, it goes away without that. So. Um, the idea that the money's not very helpful to anyone else is false. That's a false idea. And the cost of removing that money is something that no one ever talks about. It's a hidden cost. So at worst case, he has it in a bank, probably more likely most of the money that someone like Bezos has. Um, he's directly making loans to businesses um, and investments in businesses. So it may be through public stock purchases, private equity. Um, he... he he, I think he self-funded Blue Origin, right? Which is an entire space, uh, I think it's designed, I think they're putting payloads in low Earth orbit, I'm not exactly sure, but I think their goal is to do tourism of space, but I think they're also doing some payload delivery. doesn't matter. Uh, that, I believe, has almost entirely been funded by Bezos personally. So that money he uses to do big things, right? He, he If he didn't have billions of dollars, he wouldn't be building a, you know, space company from scratch, right? That that's that's what he does with the money. That's that's what they do. They wealthy people invest in in businesses that they run, that other people run. They they do it in public stocks. They do it in private equity. But regardless, that money gets invested, and those investments enable other businesses to grow and expand and and create jobs and all that stuff. A very small small fraction of the money, maybe wealthy people are buying helicopters and yachts, but as a percentage of, of what, they're, and even the helicopters and yachts, you can argue like someone has to make the yacht, blah, 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 but that's a tiny fraction. Most of the money, um, most of the money that a wealthy person has in liquid, obviously Bezos, most of his money is actually in Amazon stock, so it's not even liquid. Uh, if he tried to sell his Amazon stock tomorrow, it would no longer be worth $110 billion, right? It would, it would tank because the market would freak out that Bezos is selling his stock, the Amazon stock price would tank. So it's kind of not even real. That it's not really that's not really the value of it because it's not completely liquid that 110, but um, you know this is what this is what wealthy people use their money for. They they even if they're just acting in their own self interest, they just want to get rich, richer, right? So they 
They invest in other businesses. Well, that investment is what enables a slew of, elect, of, of economic activity, um, and it very it's very likely that it enables your paycheck. If you work for a company who has ever taken loans or taken investment or um, has a line of credit from a bank, that's enabled by other wealthy people who have been successful and are giving their money or, or loaning their money out or investing their money uh, so that your business can uh, could get off the ground and hire you. So uh, that's just a, an important hidden cost that I don't think anyone ever talks about. We talk about this wealth tax as if like, oh, we're going to take the money out of the system and it has no effect on the system. It's just a positive, you know, Elizabeth Warren talks like, oh, well, if I took $100 billion away from Bezos, uh, the government would have $100 billion more. And there, But there's no other side of the equation for her. She doesn't, for her, the other side of the equation is just like, well, Bezos doesn't have the $100 billion, but who cares about that one guy? No, it's not that one guy. That $100 billion was was sitting in banks and in investments and elsewhere. Like, that $100 billion is no longer in the free market doing the thing that it normally does, probably generating a trillion dollars worth of economic activity. But that's that's gone. So they never talk about that side of the equation. They only show you the side of the equation that is good for them, which is, look, we will have another $100 billion as the government right? We'll have $100 billion. Okay, but there is a cost to that. There is a cost. And the third thing I just, you know, I can't believe needs to be said, but uh, putting aside the taxation is theft thing, because I know not everyone agrees with me on that. Uh, Taxation is also less efficient than everything that Bezos is doing with his money now. So, um, you know, you might like the idea of taxation because you want to be in control of how he spends his money. You don't like that he's spending it on Blue Origins or he's, uh, you know, investing it in other companies or keeping a bunch of it in Amazon so that Amazon's price stays up so Amazon can function. You want to, you feel like you should be able to, to dictate what he does with that money. And you want to, help, you know, for example, solve the homeless problem with that money, right? Which is not something I've seen talked about. Um, okay, but if you take that money from Bezos, aside from being immoral, what you've just done is first, you will cause a disturbance in the, in the market, which will be very difficult to measure because it will have ripple effects, right? You're going to take his hundred, let's say you take a hundred billion dollars from Bezos out. Well, the bank I talked about that's using that hundred billion dollars, uh, to lend out and as the line of credits that vanishes and you see like all the businesses affected. Uh, are in that ecosystem are all affected, um, probably resulting in more homelessness. So there's a cost to what you just did. You took money out of the system and you actually depressed everyone's standard of living by removing it from the system where it was actually being put to work. Then what you do, you bring it into the government. The government's going to waste, I don't know, I don't know what the number is, large percentage, probably half the money. The government's going to waste half the money shuffling it from one pocket to another and filing paperwork and hiring bureaucrats before it actually goes back into anything, right? So you just blew, you know, 500 million of it. Nice job. Oops, I just said 500 million. I realized afterwards when I made this, I said 500 million because I was thinking of taking a billion dollars out. But obviously, if they take 100 billion dollars out, half of that is 50 billion. So when I say 500 million, think 50 billion. Sorry about that. My my bad math error. Now, the last 500 million, um, the government's going to use to give to people. Let's say they, uh, they're going to build homes or they're going to, uh, I don't know, fund 
National Endowment for the Arts so that people can make art or they're going to fund something that sounds good, maybe research, right? Well, the government's going to use that money to now create a dependent class. They're going to identify people and they're going to give them the money and that those people, um, the money is not going to save them forever, right? Uh, those money, those people will now become dependent on that government money. So they'll say, well, last year you gave me a house, but you know, this year the roof needs to be replaced and blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, now, now you're going to start to see, uh, now you need, now you need money or, you know, I got my, my grant is up. I need another grant. So now there's a, when the government gives money, there's generally an obligation to, you know, if not explicit, often implicit obligation that now they kind of need to keep going because the, now the people are more dependent on that money because the government has been, has been giving it to them. And so you've now got a class of people that are going to look to the government for their source of income. Um, even if you don't, even if you don't keep giving it to them, you at least have a class of people that are looking to the government as a potential source of income because it provide an income to them. Um, and obviously this is creates a moral hazard because now you have those people go voting. And so now you've got a class of people who are, um, in it to get months to, in it, you know, they're economically incentivized to vote for anything that gives them more money that the government does. Um, now, so that you've got this cycle of destruction, the government's going to grow, they're going to have to figure out a way to get that money, either they're going to raise taxes more. So you're going to exacerbate the hidden cost problem that we just talked about before. Um, and you're going to, you know, other than taxing, the government may also, uh, They'll probably use inflation, right? They'll probably print money. They'll probably borrow money from your your kids. And so you're enabling this. The government is this big uh, hungry beast that never, uh, it's never satisfied and it's always growing. So now that the government's got their hands on Bezos's $100 billion, let's say, and they've started to distribute it, well, suddenly uh, all those people are going to want another $100 billion next year. And, and and probably more, probably $120 billion next year. And they're going to want $150 billion the year after that. And it's going to continue to grow. Um, and the government's going to solve that problem by printing money or borrowing, which is uh, basically taxing your children or, or hurting your children, right? Um, or they'll continue to tax. But, I mean, eventually Bezos will run out of money. He's going to have to shut down. He won't be able to fund Blue Origin. And he's we've already talked about uh, the effect on, on the banks and and the loans that are that are made possible and the investments made possible because of because of his money. So the idea that taxing billionaires, free market billionaires, the idea that taxing free market billionaires is somehow uh, moral and somehow practical, like it will solve problems uh, long term, right? Could, could Bezos' money buy houses for every homeless person? Yeah. Sure, um, that won't solve the long-term problem, and you'll end up with more homeless people as well. Uh, so, you know, because you're going to also have not only do you have the moral hazard of people receiving this stuff, but you've also got the the ripple effect that I talk about. Is there injustice though? Like, should you be angry about some inequality? And is there injustice in the elite class? I mean, you look at Be- people look to Bezos as like this example of someone in the elite class, and there's lots of things I don't like about him too. Again, caveats that some of his money probably was obtained through uh, government favors. Um, if you're worried about this kind of injustice, the place where your efforts should be focused, I think, are on the croniest kind of oligarchy that we have going on. This is the financial system, right? This is, 
you've got a financial system with people who have uh, unique privileged access to the Treasury and Federal Reserve that the rest of us do not enjoy. Um, and those people are quietly stealing wealth from future generations and from our society, and no one seems to notice, right? This is what occupation, uh, sorry, Occupy Wall Street was about, and um, and I think the the valid parts of that sentiment have mostly been lost ever since Ron Paul has retired. There's no one really in the public eye talking about the Federal Reserve, but banks. So I just want to be clear: banks as such. The idea of a bank, banks as such aren't grifters. Like it doesn't, you don't have to be a grifter to be a bank. But today we have a cronyist system in which if you are a bank, especially if you're one of the big banks, you are a grifter. Um, and you know the Federal Reserve is this puppet master that's manipulating the system, and they have no real accountability. And they're the ones doing things that are enabling um, these cronyists, these Wall Street cronyists. Uh, they're enabling them to walk away with millions and millions, sometimes billions of dollars that is unearned. It's stolen money. It's it's carefully and uh, subtly stolen so that you don't notice. It's stolen through inflation, right? It's stolen through borrowing so that your grandkids will pay. But it's not, nonetheless, it's stolen from your livelihood. And it's done uh, by, you know, if you ever... If you ever want to think of a, a smoke-filled conspiracy theory kind of room, for like remember the X-Files? They had the the smoking man and like they had the room of the uh, powerful elites kind of making decisions and running the world, like the shadowy government kind of people in the X-Files. That's how I think of the Federal Reserve. Uh, and frankly, I think of all the things that exist in real life that are most similar to that scene in the X-Files is that. It's the it's the Federal Reserve. That's That's what the banking system is. Um, so if you have a sense of unfairness about the system, if you feel like there's inequality and that things are unfair, you're right. There is in, there is inequality. Things are unfair. You're right to feel angry. Um, and you're right to want to do something about it. But going after Jeff Bezos and his hundred billion dollar net worth, which as I said, by the way, is mostly Amazon stock isn't even totally liquid. Um, that's not the place to start. Start with the Federal Reserve. I think there's $4 trillion in assets, roughly, uh, on the Federal Reserve's balance sheet, and and they control the entire economy. Uh, that's the the origin of this, uh, this cronyism that you hate, the origin of the Scrooge McDuck figure that you've got in your head. It's not, it's not Bezos. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the, it's the oligarchy that's controlling us. It's not Bezos. It's not people like Bill Gates. It's not people like Jeff Bezos. It's not even people like Mark Zuckerberg, although, you know, of course we have our issues with how he's running Facebook. But the place to start is the Federal Reserve. If you really care about this kind of injustice, and I agree that it's injustice, start with the Federal Reserve. Don't start with Jeff Bezos because Bezos is nothing, right? Bezos is not, he's nothing compared to the power of the Federal Reserve. He's, he's, it's just... It doesn't matter. And most of his wealth has been earned through being productive. The same is not true for the Federal Reserve. They didn't earn their wealth through being productive. They have a sweet relationship with the government. Um, it's a, it's a government-issued monopoly and a government-protected monopoly, and it's unaccountable. So that's where you should start. You know, there's two. There's uh, actually one other thing I want to talk about unrelated to uh, the Federal Reserve and economics before I go. And this is one, Carrie probably would be interested in this, but I, I don't know that she's watched these things. Lately, um, 
I've watched uh, last night. Was it last night? Yesterday we watched season one of Watchmen, and um, and I also watched. We also watched recently the Jack Ryan series on Amazon, and it was one of these things when we started watching. So we're not going to watch any more uh, Watchmen. We only watched the first episode of season one, uh, and I can't. I couldn't even. It was hard to get past 20 minutes, but I forced myself to watch the whole episode. Jack Ryan, we did watch the the seasons of Jack Ryan. And, you know, it's just a reminder. I don't I don't have anything super profound to say about this, but it's a it's a reminder that this social justice ideology has really um, seeped into everything. And once you once you know what to look for, it's it's so disheartening to see it everywhere. You know, Jack Ryan was the character that Tom Clancy had created. Um, he was the hero in Hunt for Red October. Um, I think Alec Baldwin played him in that. And then Harrison Ford played him in uh, Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger. There might have been some other ones. But, you know, very patriotic kind of uh, guy. It's, it's you know, pro-CIA because that's kind of a... Uh, the sentiment of the series, so it's very, it's very kind of pro CIA and put paints the CIA in a good light. Which, um, incidentally, the CIA was consulted on the creating of the Jack Ryan series. So of course, uh, the the producers and the creators went out of their way to try and make the CIA look good. Uh, if that's not propaganda, I don't know what is. But in addition to the normal kind of pro CIA slant that it has, um, they took. Uh, you know, they just t- they took some characters. The first season for Jack Ryan was a little bit disturbing to me because they went out of their way to take Admiral Jim Greer, who was a major character in the uh, in the books and movies, um, and they went out of their way to make him uh, Muslim, and they went out of their way to make him defend Islam to some French guy who was like complaining about there was Muslim terrorists doing some stuff, and the guy was complaining about uh, Islamic immigrants, and they made Jim Greer go out of his way to like have to. You know, it was this kludgy, kind of ham-fisted, you know, super forced conversation that the writers just like, we have to virtue signal about how great Islam is. Um, you know, that was a little bit bothersome, but there's nothing, okay, fine, like, go ahead, do your virtue signaling. Do you have to insert it into everything? I guess the answer is yes. You got to insert your virtue signaling into Jack Ryan, fine. But then season two of Jack Ryan came along, and my God, season two is set in Venezuela, and they talk about inflation, the economy going um, to, you know, economy being in shambles, people suffering. Um, they've got the leader of, of Venezuela, obviously fictional leader of Venezuela in the series. No mention that it was socialism that caused this problem. So in real life, it's socialism is the problem. In real life, it's a socialist uh, regime that has caused the problem in Venezuela, in real life. In fictional social justice Jack Ryan world, it's like a, it seems to be kind of a weird right wing kind of fascist dude who's doing bad things. He was bad. I mean, he was definitely doing bad things. He was a bad guy. You wanted him dead in in the show. But like, that's, that's the opposite of Venezuela's. Like, that's not Venezuela's problem. Venezuela's problem is socialism. And who was the hero, the political hero in Venezuela in the new Jack Ryan series? A candidate who literally, literally talks about social justice as her platform and ends with less fist in the air victory, like very pro, like very socialist and social justice as if like, that's the thing we're supposed to be excited about. Like the big threat to Venezuela is, uh, I guess, right-leaning fascists, not 
the socialists and who have absolutely destroyed that country. So it was just it was sickening that they they took something like Jack Ryan and they just inserted all of this woke dogma into it, completely contradicting reality of the situation in Venezuela. It is, I mean, also talk about propaganda, right? Kids don't even read about or understand anything that's actually happening in Venezuela. They're going to watch this thing and they're going to think the problem with Venezuela is like there was just some douchebag dictator, you know, but if we just got a social justice leader in there, everything would be fine. Like we've tried socialism in Venezuela. It's what killed Venezuela. So, um, that, that was just obnoxious to watch. And the Watchmen thing, I'm not a comics guy, but uh, the Watchmen thing bothered me for possibly a different reason. Um, it's related, but... So Steve Ditko is the... He was was the creator of... Uh, co-creator of Spider-Man with Stan Lee. There was some... I think Stan Lee doesn't like to call him co-creator, but is willing to, whatever. Uh, Steve Ditko, I guess Stan Lee's also dead, so didn't like to call him co-creator. Steve Ditko was the co-creator of Spider-Man, creator of Doctor Strange, um, created a lot of, of characters. Um, he he left Marvel way back in the day, um, and he was a fan of Ayn Rand. He was a, I don't know if he was an outright objectivist, but he was leaning towards objectivism. And he created these comics, uh, I think The Question and Mr. A, and it was based on this, you know, uh, I guess the question had like a mask where he was a superhero who like wore a mask with, with no features on it, um, and Mr. A wore like a steel mask or something that um, was, uh, you know, I guess it had a face, had a kind of placid face on it, but he uh, he made Question and Mr. A as kind of like these Randian kind of heroes, right? This uh, They were very... Um, black and white thinking um, in terms of dishing out justice. There was not really any wiggle room for ambiguity. Um, and uh, which is, you know, fine for fiction. Like I, in, in real life, there's a lot of ambiguity often, but um, you know, he, he had a very Randian approach to the heroes in his comic books and in question in Mr. A. Anyway, um, when the Watchmen comics came along, Rorschach was, and I think Alan Moore created Watchmen, I think um, he, he, knew and admired Steve Ditko, and he created Rorschach as almost like a um, tribute to uh, Mr. A and Question from Steve Ditko's universe. And if you remember in the movie, Rorschach is uh, very moralistic, and but he's a hero. He's, he's kind of a hero, uh, sort of, in, in the movie. But he's also uh, kind of overly, overly moralizing, right? I mean, he, he's... Um, kind of right right leaning ish a little bit a little bit off people still kind of liked Rorschach in the movie but he was a little bit too weird and moralizing like um call, I think calling you know drug addicts and prostitutes scum and that kind of thing like he's very very moralistic um but but not like overtly he, he wasn't like a Nazi right he was just kind of maybe religious right sort of right so, um, and Steve Ditko actually apparently had been had been told about Rorschach when the Rorschach character was invented and, and came out, and Steve Ditko said, uh, yeah, he was kind of like Mr. A or quest- the question or whatever, um, except for except for insane, right? So he didn't really like Rorschach, but Rorschach was this attempt to like, like a nod to the Mr. A universe, um, but 
kind of uh, also not painting it in a great light. Season one of, <laughs> actually the first episode of season one of Watchmen, which is all of Watchmen. So now there's a new Watchmen series on Amazon. And they have made the Rorschach mask the uni- part of the uniform of actual white supremacists. So the new show is like, these are actual white, white, white supremacists, and they wear the Rorschach mask. They have taken uh, the character of Rorschach and made him an actual white supremacist evil, a representation of, of evil white supremacy. It's just sickening. And, and the reason I'm bringing it up is just sickening and gross what they've done to um, to that character. And uh, it's just a stupid, it's a poorly done show. It, it's, you know... I guess white supremacy is the big threat to the world now. It's just so woke that it makes you want to throw up in your own mouth. It's a horrible series, and um, I just needed to get that off my chest because it really bothered me. I watched that episode last night, and I I can't, like I said, I could only, I did the first 20 minutes. I really wanted to turn it off, but I wanted to say I I watched the whole episode, so I did. But uh, what a mess. It was really a mess. And I'm not a comic book fan, so if anyone in, in chat is like a comic book fan and has thoughts on this kind of stuff, let me know. I've never read the Watchmen comics. I watched the Watchmen movie a while ago, uh, but uh, I do know that history at least, and it's pretty vile to see what they've done with Rorschach, who as a character was not altogether unlikable in in the movie. I don't know what he was like in the, in the original books, but certainly I'm sure the social justice crowd is... Uh, very full of themselves and happy that they managed to take a Rand-inspired character and turn him into a white supremacist in the latest series. So, um, F you, Amazon. Uh, I am sick of what you're doing to good stories from the past. Be creative. Invent your own thing. Stop ruining Jack Ryan and making it all about your socialist virtue signaling. And stop ruining comic books. So, um, I don't know. That was my That was the extra thing I wanted to add. I guess I'm done ranting for today. Hopefully, Carrie will be back tomorrow, everyone. Um, thank you very much for watching. Please don't forget to like and share the video. Go on YouTube, press the share button, um, send it around, uh, and and also really, you know, really consider if you have if you have the resources, please go to Subscribestar and help us out. You know, um, I bleed money every month doing this show and time. Uh, Carrie does as well. And would love to get to a point where it's actually self-sustaining in some way. And like I said, the people who I shouted out to at the beginning, thank you very much. You are part of, uh, you're an important part of this. You're you're making this possible. And um, so more people should follow your example. So thank you all and have a great day. We'll see you, see you tomorrow.